You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Greetings from a sweltering Amsterdam. I'm hard at work on a mini-series about decarbonization, which will be released this fall. But in the meantime, I've gotten together with Transformers Foundation, where I also work, to release an audio version of another article I've written about the Higg Index. Yep, that's right. Amidst sweat in my eyes, an eight-month-old baby, just a few too many projects, and a sore throat coming in hot, my headspace is still consumed with thoughts of Higg. Please don't judge me. In case you haven't been following, the fashion industry's been having a lot of debates about how to credibly communicate to consumers about a product's environmental impact. The Hig Materials Sustainability Index, also referred to as the Hig MSI, created by the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, is the quote-unquote back-end that a lot of brands are using to make claims about their product's environmental impact. But the Hig Index has been under fire for greenwashing. First, the New York Times leveled the accusation that the data used to create the index favors polyester. Then the Norwegian Consumer Authority ordered a brand using the Hig Index to make its marketing claims to stop on the basis that it was misleading. In response, the SAC temporarily paused the Hig Index transparency program. In parallel, France, the UK, and the EU are also looking at product labeling requirements. I weighed in on this debate last month, calling for context-specific data and more equitably distributed financial risk. I also released an audio version of that piece, so be sure to go back and tune in if you haven't already. And while I stand by everything I said in my last piece, I've been thinking a lot about what the role for consumers should be in this whole transformation. Is empowering them to shop differently really going to drive transformation? Late last week, I released a written article exploring exactly this question. And I want to release an audio version of that piece here today. The Hague Data Debate Part 2, Reimagining Consumers as Conversation Changers. What we should or shouldn't communicate to consumers about a product's environmental impact has been subject of fierce industry debate. I too weighed in on this debate, calling for context-specific data and more equitably distributed financial risk. But I want to zoom out further. What is the role of consumers in in the transformation of fashion's environmental impact anyway? Part 1. Producers, not consumers, will drive transformation. Implicitly, our conversation is anchored in the assumption that consumers can drive change by, well, consuming differently. For example, if people were empowered to opt for lower impact products, then they might make better shopping choices. This would reward the companies truly doing the heavy sustainability lifting for their efforts, and this, in turn, would drive change. And it's true, rewarding the manufacturing companies actually doing the heavy sustainability lifting would be a good thing. Though, as I said last month, meaningfully giving consumers this choice requires labels that account for things like where and how the cotton was grown, where and how the yarn was spun, where and how that yarn was dyed and turned into a fabric, and where and how that fabric was cut, sewn, and turned into a garment. 
And we have no hope of giving consumers this information if we don't also rethink the breadth, depth, and complexity of fashion supply chains. Long and unwieldy supply chains are not an inevitability. They're the result of brands choosing to offload financial risk onto their suppliers because it's better for their books and their shareholders. But even if consumers were empowered to make more meaningful purchasing choices, and even if this would be a good thing, it still won't be transformative. True transformation starts with producers, not consumers and not brands. Why? Well, because really doing something about our industry's environmental impact requires reinventing how clothes are made. It also requires reinventing the context in which those clothes are made. I'm talking power grids, waste management infrastructure, and beyond. Most brands and most consumers do not have a deep understanding of the places in which clothes are made, nor do they understand exactly how those clothes are made. Producers are the only people with knowledge of both how clothes are made and the context in which those clothes are made, and this is why they are the only ones that can drive transformation. Part 2. Transformation will take a lot more than market differentiation. Although producers must be the ones to drive the industry's environmental transformation, they also cannot do it alone. I'm reminded of an anecdote in a book by Otto Scharmer, and there's a link to that in the written version of the article, which you can find in the show notes. He describes a restaurant in Philadelphia whose owner, Judy Wicks, spent 25 years pioneering sustainable business practices. He quotes her as saying, quote, I realized that there was no such thing that as one sustainable business, no matter how good the practices were within my own company, no matter if I composted and recycled and bought from farmers and used renewable energy and so on, I had to go outside of my own company and start working in cooperation with others, and particularly with my competitors, to build a whole new system based on those values, end quote. As my friend Dr. Vidura Ralapanawa recently reflected on LinkedIn, and again, there's a link to this quote in the written version of the article, which you can find in the show notes, and I quote, let me say this again, as a corporate sustainability practitioner who championed corporate climate goals, I I support strong individual corporate action. Yet by trying to outdo each other on climate action, we lose our ability to be effective in collective action, and we will collectively fail too, end quote. The truth is, as an industry, we have yet to nail inter-supply chain collaboration, meaning collaboration between companies making and selling a single product, let alone collaboration across competitors like what's being described here. Last month, I advocated for more equitably distributed financial risk on the basis that it would lead to shorter supply chains, which in turn would enable us to communicate context-specific impact claims to consumers. This month, I want to advocate for more equitably distributed financial risk on the basis that it forces inter-supply chain codependence. This means that if you succeed, I succeed too. And if you fail, I also fail. It means partnership in the strictest sense of the word, shared profits and losses. More equitably distributed financial risk and the codependence that would come with it would require us to define self-interest broadly instead of narrowly. Part 3. Consumers as Conversation Changers 
As a former garment factory manager, I've been ruminating on how the public in the quote-unquote global north could have supported my former factory manager self with transforming our environmental impact and beyond. The suggestion I often hear is that instead of just shopping differently, consumers should also engage as citizens. But the thing is, many of the solutions put forward by activists make the former garment factory manager in me a little bit queasy. Their solutions tend to feel divorced from my lived experience and from the material and historical contexts in which I was operating. How can citizens who, for the most part, neither know how to make clothes nor understand the context in which those clothes are made ever hope to prescribe the right solution? So I'd like to put forward a new role for people in the quote-unquote global north, not that of consumer, nor that of citizen, but that of ally and conversation changer. I'm imagining a world in which consumers call out when binaries of good people versus bad people are used to explain the collective outcomes none of us want. These binaries are implicit every time we frame sustainability as a matter of better controlling or policing how someone else behaves. Narratives of control are pervasive. Most of the time, we don't even realize we're using them. For example, supplier codes of conduct, transparency, compliance audits, and even the way decarbonization targets are deployed fit this bill. The binary narratives of good versus bad people are also racist. More on that here. And I've put a link to that in the written version of the article, which you can find in the show notes. The truth is, we all do things that lead to outcomes that collectively none of us want. Most of the time, it's not because we're bad people in need of more oversight and control to keep us on the straight and narrow. I'm not saying that all manufacturers or brands are created equal or that companies shouldn't be held accountable, but binary framing of our woes in terms of good and bad actors just isn't a useful anchor for talking about systemic problems in which we are all implicated. I'm imagining a world in which people in the quote-unquote global north stand behind the idea that solutions will look different depending on product in place. If our point of departure is that manufacturers want to do something about their impact but for various reasons cannot, then we must put in the effort to understand why. This is more fundamental than just acknowledging that low prices or bad purchasing practices play a role in manufacturer choices. I host monthly supplier meetups for the Asia Garment Hub. And during last week's session, I asked a small group of manufacturers to describe a conversation about decarbonization during which they felt recognized and understood. Silence. It's not a good sign if the people tasked with leading fashion's charge against climate change struggle to think of conversations during which they felt their challenges were understood. And even worse, if those same suppliers have fundamental reservations about the solutions brands and sometimes citizens in the quote-unquote global north are asking them to implement. The public must have empathy and understanding for the fact that manufacturers are being asked to rethink their entire business model and the context in which they operate for free, while the rest of the world implicitly labels them the problem and seems indifferent as to whether their businesses even survive. I'm imagining a world in which people in the quote-unquote global north redefine the term taking responsibility. Taking responsibility, regardless of where in the supply chain we sit, should not be about how effectively we control others. Taking responsibility should mean considering how our own behavior impacts others. For example, as a garment factory manager, the litmus test to which I held myself was basic. If our suppliers were ever discovered to be engaging in unethical behavior, could I look myself in the mirror and confidently assert that nothing we'd done had encouraged, motivated, or contributed to their decision to behave that way? 
Companies have their own financial books audited all the time. I don't see any reason we can't also audit companies against whether their management systems systematically take into consideration how their own business practices impact their suppliers and the world around them more generally. Hell, maybe this is the information we should be putting on consumer-facing product labels. Disclosure. Since June 27, 2022, I'm participating in the Sustainable Apparel Coalition's panel of external experts. The external expert panel is designed to provide unbiased, independent, ongoing feedback, guidance, and constructive critique on the proposed specifications, methodology, and launch of the Hig Index Transparency Program. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. 